0: It's our privilege this morning to have Reverend Dr. Jack Connell with us. He's the newly inaugurated president of Eastern Nazarene College, our college up in Quincy, Massachusetts. Uh, You probably are aware that in the Church of the Nazarene, we take education very, very seriously. Uh, We are very interested in discipleship and growth, and really when you think about it, our discipleship plan for our children who have finished high school is to continue their education at a Christian college. That's our plan, it's always been our Nazarene plan, that we have a place of continuing growth and discipleship for our kids. And so we're great supporters of Eastern Nazarene College. Now, uh, Dr. Jack was not a Nazarene for most of his life. He comes to us from the Wesleyan denomination, and that means he had to do this, like, transfer of credentials kind of a thing, and he had to meet before the same board that all of you candidates are gonna meet in March. He met there last year, had to answer like the same questions that you had to answer, and I am pleased to say that he answered all those questions correctly, and that his doctrine is sound and solid, and he is an honest-to-goodness, holiness preacher, and a pastor of many years as well. And so it's our delight to welcome Jack Connell to the pulpit this morning. Would you greet him this morning as he comes
1: Thank you, Dan, for those uh, those kind words. Yes, I remember being a little bit shocked, actually, when I found out that I was going to have to go through the same interviews and answer all the same questions that these new candidates are having to do. In fact, I think I asked the chair of the uh, board of ministry, you, you do know that I'm ordained, right? Oh, yeah, we know you still have to go through all of this. So it was an act of grace, I think, that... Uh, I was able to be approved, and my uh, credentials transferred to the Church of Nazarene, and that's a great honor. And a delight to be with all of you this morning. Thank you for the invitation, Dan. I was a local church pastor for 19 years before I transitioned into Christian higher education, so when I have the privilege of being in a congregation and serving with all of you, um, I just feel like I'm at home. So it is wonderful to be here, and a real delight to be representing Eastern Nazarene College. Uh, Fantastic place. Honored to serve as their new president. How I'm curious! Any ENC alumni in the house? I know there are a few. Oh my goodness! Yeah, go Lions! Defend the, well. This might be Crusaders. Some of you won't go into that. How many? Um, how many current students? I know there's one. Ashley down here. Let's give it up for Ashley, one of our new candidates. Yeah. And I know we have at least two. How many future students? Maybe. I know there are at least two, I met Addison and Sophie right before the service, third graders I think, who came to me and told me that they were going to be coming to Eastern Nazarene College, but they had a very important question to ask me, which was, could they be roommates when they come? And I assured them that they could. I don't know if I have the authority to do that, I don't know if I'll even be president of Eastern Nazarene College in ten years or whenever that will be, but you heard it here, Addison and Sophie get to be roommates if there are any problems with that please call me or call my successor and we'll be sure to get that done But thank you again for the invitation. It is such a delight and I look forward to having lunch with Addison and Sophie um, Afterwards, so let me ask you. What is the best? best call you've ever received? Now I know that we you know we hardly even use our phones to make calls anymore, right? But think back to when we used our phones to actually make calls and receive calls. I mean, when I call my kids, they almost get annoyed with me. They say, what's, Dad, what's the problem? Can't you text me? Can't you message me? But amuse your imagination and think about when we used to use our phones for calls. And let me ask you, what is the best call you've ever received? When I was a college student about 100 years ago, long before cell phones were even invented, Um, Some of you will remember, there, there was one phone on the floor of our residence hall. It was a box about this big. It was mounted to the wall. The receiver had a long cord attached to it, and 40 guys all shared this one phone. One evening, this phone in our dorm on our floor rang. One of the guys on our floor picked it up, yelled down the hall toward my room, Hey, Jack, it's for you, and it's... And he named the name of a girl that everyone knew I had a crush on but was way out of my league. And so as I'm walking down this narrow hallway with rooms on each side toward the phone, I'm getting all kinds of grief from all the guys on the floor. Ooh, Jack, it's for you, and it's, you know, she must have the wrong number. She's going to ask you to me "Oh, I was getting all kinds of trash talk. It's probably not her, it's a joke. I get down to the phone, I nervously answer the phone and sure enough, it is her. I would say her name, but you know, you could be related to her. Someone here is probably her second cousin. She tells me that she's just been elected the homecoming queen for our class and would I like to be her escort, her date for homecoming weekend. Now, I try to pretend that I'm cool, like, you know, this happens to me all the time. So, of course, I say to her, well, I'll check my schedule. I think I might already have a date that weekend. I'll see if I'm available. No, my answer was more like, yes, and will you marry me? And we got to spend the weekend together. I... Sat with her at the homecoming banquet. I rode with her on the class float in the homecoming parade. We ended up dating a little bit. I'd call that a pretty good call, wouldn't you? Of course, she called me about six months later and said, Jack, I've been praying about our relationship. And you can finish the sentence, right? And I think it's the Lord's will that we should just be friends. Which was shocking to me because the Lord was telling me no such thing. So it was sort of like being dumped by God and a girl at the exact same moment. But that first call, that first call, it's a pretty good one. I hope you've had some great calls, maybe about a new baby being born or about a new job or that you've just been accepted into Eastern Nazarene College. But I'd like to suggest to you today that the best call you've ever received and the best call that you ever will receive is the call that you have received from God. Because as I look through the pages of the Bible, what I see time and time and time again is a God who clearly loves to call people. I don't know if he texts or not. I don't know if he messages or not. But he clearly loves to call. A guy named Abraham is a 75-year-old, very successful businessman. He has a nice house on a cul-de-sac in Greenwich, Connecticut. Is that the right town? BMW convertible in the driveway, country club membership. His wife, Sarah, loves to go to New York City with her high society friends and shop on Fifth Avenue and go to Broadway shows. Abe and Sarah are living the good life. But one day, God shows up in Abraham's life and calls him. And it's a call to leave all of that and go to a new nation, a new country, and start a new nation that would become a blessing to the whole world. And Abraham and Sarah do it. And they begin an adventure that they never could have imagined. And the story of their lives is changed forever. And the trajectory of our entire planet is changed forever. Because God is a God who seems to have it in his heart to call people and to invite them into extraordinary adventures. A little while later, a broken down old shepherd named Moses is out doing what he's been doing every single day for 40 years, taking his sheep for a walk. But then something happens that hasn't happened once in those 40 years. Moses sees a bush that bursts into flame. Now Moses wasn't a smoker. He hadn't thrown a cigarette in there. The sheep... They hadn't started the fire. This bush just appears to spontaneously combust. And then it starts talking to him. Now imagine that your cell phone at the beginning of the day turns itself on, starts throwing off a few sparks, and then starts talking to you. I don't know. Maybe iPhones can do that now. Didn't a new one just come out? Maybe they got that covered. Imagine that this podium bursts into flame one Sunday morning and starts talking to everyone. I think that's a service, Dan, that people would remember. There's no record of what Moses first says when he sees this bush that's burning into flame, but a guy named Ken Davis suggested it was probably something like, wow, freaketh me out. But God, it's God who calls to Moses out of that bush, and he asks him to go back to the nation of Egypt and free the children of Israel from their bondage and lead them into the promised land. And Moses says yes, and his life is forever changed, and the history of the planet is forever changed because God just seems to have it in his heart to be a God who calls people and invites them into extraordinary adventures. Jesus walks the planet, and he sees Fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes. And what does he do? He calls them. He's always saying to them things like, Come, follow me, be one of my disciples, enter into my work, because God is a God who calls. The calling continues all the way to the very last page of the Bible, Revelation 22, which says this, The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, whoever is thirsty. Let him come, whoever wishes. Let him take the free gift of the water of life from the first page of the Bible to the last. God is a God who calls and calls and calls. And friends, here's what I believe to be true about you. I believe that God is calling you, every single one of you. I believe that God went to all the trouble to make you, and it is not for nothing. I believe he has a mark he wants you to make. I believe he has a legacy he wants you to leave. I believe he has a calling he wants you to fulfill. You know, it may be that the most important day of your life is the day that you are born. But I believe the second most important day of your life might be the day you discover what you were born for. And that is to understand and respond to the call of God on your life. And what is that call? What is that mark that God wants you to make? Well, it's a really big question. It can be a pretty complicated question. I know it's one of the top questions on the the minds of our students at Eastern Nazarene College. I love the earnestness with which they pursue that question and often ask me about that question. God, Jack, whoever they're speaking with, God, what is your call upon my life? But it's not just a question for college students and it's not just a question for teenagers. It's a question for all of us because I hope we all continue to wrestle throughout our lives at some level with the question, God, what is it that you're calling me to do? Who is it that you want me to become? Just a few years ago, my wife, uh, Wendy, and I were at one of those decision-making crossroads. We had actually just left pastoral ministry after 19 years. We had just moved to Kentucky, and I was in a new position as a dean at a theological seminary. And for a lot of reasons that I won't take the time to bore you with, because lunch is right out there, and I'm in that awkward place of now knowing, it's me that's standing between you and lunch. But Dan said, as long as I keep it under an hour, we're good. So for a lot of reasons, that move to Kentucky was not working out very well. And my wife Wendy and I now had to decide, what do we do? What is God's call on us in this moment? we essentially had three options. We could stay right where we were in Kentucky and push through and sort of follow the train of thought that says, well, we believe God called us here, and yeah, it's a really rough patch of water right now, but let's stay here, be faithful to this, and this is what God desires of us. Or the church that I had been serving for all those years had not yet found a new pastor, and there was some conversation about, maybe I'll go back to that church. Kind of call that whole thing a mulligan and just go back. Or maybe we should do something else altogether. Door number one, door number two, door number three. And can I just tell you, it was a mess. It was a messy, complicated, difficult time. Wendy and I did not always agree on how we were analyzing the situation, what we thought was the next chapter for us. Each one of those. Options had major implications for our four kids, and believe me, they had different opinions about what the better option would be for them. Every one of those doors, those three doors, had major upsides and major downsides. There was no obvious, good, clear answer. And Wendy and I absolutely felt like we were falling apart at the seams as we were trying to figure this out over a span of several weeks. Now, as you'd expect, we were doing all the the things that good Christian people do to try to discern the call of God. So we were praying, and we were fasting, and we were getting advice, and we were searching the pages of Scripture, and we were making long lists of pros and cons. I took a day off of work, uh, pushed that into a long weekend, and spent those three days in solitude, Uh, essentially spending those three days saying, God, if once in my life you're going to speak to me in an audible voice, if you're going to do that for me just once, like now would be the time. This weekend would be the time. He didn't. No clarity ever came. And in the middle of all this, our daughter Rebecca, who was... 14 at the time, was really sensing my stress, our family's stress about all of this. And she walked up to me one day and handed me this, which I know you can't see this very well, but it's just a little necklace in the shape of a heart, her necklace. And she said, Daddy, I just want you to know that whatever you decide, it's gonna be okay, and I love you. And oh man, the tears just flowed, and I wrapped her up and said, oh baby, thank you, and I love you too. Well, a few days later, it was, um, it was D-Day. We had to decide. I literally had to make a call by 5 o'clock that afternoon indicating what our decision would be. And Wendy and I were sitting in our living room. We spent the afternoon, deadline looming, watching the clock tick. No clarity. Totally stressed out. Looking over the long list of pros and cons for what seemed like the thousandth time. It's about four o'clock, and Wendy noticed as we were talking and praying and doing all of this that I was sort of absent mindedly just fiddling with this necklace. I just had it in my hands like this. And she said to me, um, Well, Jack, I think that's our answer. I'm like, What? Let Rebecca decide? Wendy said, um, no. She said, Jack, it just seems to me that the most important thing in all of this is not where we live or what job you take or which door we walk through. It seems to me that the most important thing in all of this is our hearts before God. And if our hearts are right before God, let's just make the very best decision we can and go for it, and God will use us, and God will be with us, and it will be fine. So let's just decide and go. My wife is a very wise woman. I married way, way up the food chain. I'm glad the homecoming queen dumped me that day. And I don't know that Wendy has ever said wiser words than those. Because when we think about God's call on our lives, we tend to go immediately to the particulars of decision making. Should I go to this college or that college? Well, that's an easy one, Eastern Nazarene College for everybody. Should I marry this person or that person or not get married at all? What career should I enter? Where should I live? Should I go into vocational ministry? And those are critically important decisions, and I don't mean to undermine them at all or minimize them for even a moment. But God's call on your life and mine is not first and foremost about any of those things. It is first and foremost about this. It's about your heart. God's call to Abraham was, in fact, walk before me and be holy. Abraham, it's about your heart. God's call to Moses was, in fact, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. Moses, it's about your heart. Jesus' initial call to his disciples was simply that they would be with him. Disciples, Peter, James, and John, it's about your heart. I'd like you to consider this morning the possibility that the call of God on your life has less to do with cloudy questions about your future and more to do with who God is clearly calling you to be right now. Because God's call is first. And foremost, about your heart. It's about Him transforming us more and more into people of grace and compassion and joy and integrity, hearts that reflect the heart of His Son Jesus. And I carried this necklace around with me every day for about two years till Rebecca finally asked for it back <laughs> to remind myself of that very foundational fact about our relationship with God. What what God cares about most is not the college I went to or write my resume or the town I live in or what I'm going to choose at the next critical crossroads in my life. What he cares about more than anything is my heart. But here's the thing. God's call on our lives is not just about our hearts. It's about being people who with hearts like Christ then go out. And as the pastor so eloquently prayed this morning, that we then go out and are agents of his grace in a lost and hurting world. God's call to Abraham wasn't just so that he and Sarah could have devotions together and live a happy life. It was so that they could be a blessing to the world. God's call to Moses was not just so that he could take early retirement from that shepherding business, although I think Moses was very happy for that. God's call to Moses was so that a nation could be freed from their bondage, so that justice could come. Jesus' call to his disciples was not just so that they could experience his love. It was so that they could extend his love. To the whole world, this heart-transforming work that God does in our lives is not just for us. It's not just so that we can get our ticket punched to heaven. So that we can come together here on Sunday mornings and sing beautiful songs of worship and hear messages and have lunch. As good as all that is. It's so that we can be agents of transformation in this lost and hurting world that God loves so very much. Today seems to be Rebecca Day. I'm glad she's not here. Don't tell her I'm talking about her, okay? It's just us. Is this service live streamed? Let me tell you one more story about Rebecca. Uh, Wendy and I have these um, memory books for each one of our kids. And when they were little and something funny or interesting or cute would happen, you know, we'd write it down in the memory book. Do you guys have things like these? So let me share with you something I wrote when Rebecca was five years old. Dear Rebecca, today you asked me if I would teach you how to play chess. I happily agreed since I figured chess would be a good way for you to begin learning skills like critical thinking and problem solving. And because there aren't many people I can beat at chess and I figured this might be a game I could actually win. I explained how the pieces are arranged on the board, how each piece moves, how the object of the game is to capture the other king and then we began to play. A couple moves into the game I put one of my pieces in a position where it could be captured by one of your pawns. And I showed this to you and encouraged you to take my piece. But you informed me that your pawn couldn't take my piece. And when I asked you why, you said, because he's a friendly pawn and he doesn't like to hurt other people. A couple moves later, I put one of my pieces in a position where your knight could capture it. And again, I showed this to you. This time you happily moved your knight to where my piece was. But as you did, you moved your bishop right along with the knight and put them both on the space together. When I explained that you could only move one piece at a time in chess, you said that the two pieces loved each other and were holding hands. They had to stay together. How could I argue with this? I wrote down. A couple moves later, I wanted to teach you about putting the king in the check. So I moved one of my pieces to a place where it was threatening your king. When I showed this to you, your response was to move your king right off the board over to the edge of the dining room table. And when I said, Rebecca, you need to keep your pieces on the board, you said, but daddy, his home is over here and this is where he's safe. And I knew I wasn't even going to be able to beat my five-year-old daughter at a game of chess. How do you beat someone who plays the game by a different set of rules? You ought to play Monopoly with my daughter, but that's a story for another day. Friends, there is a way the game is played in this world. And the rules of the game have to do, they're very similar actually to the rules of chess. They have to do with power and expanding your kingdom and money and Pleasure and piling up more of whatever it is that you think will make you happy. And everybody, or virtually everybody, is playing some version of that game out there. And that's what creates the world that we see on the evening news every night. A world that is increasingly filled with brokenness and self-centeredness and injustice and oppression. But God's call on your life and on mine is to be people who step into that world and play the game by an entirely different set of rules where qualities like compassion and humility and generosity and integrity rule the day so that the poor are fed and the broken are healed and relationships are reconciled and justice is done and the lost are found. And so that God's will is increasingly done on earth, just as it is in heaven. I think we prayed that earlier in this service. And friends, no matter where you go to college, no matter matter whether you end up rich or poor, married or single, Connecticut or Kentucky or Kenya, butcher, baker, or candlestick maker, that is the call God is placing upon your life. There does not have to be a lot of mystery about this. We get all tied up in knots of stress. What is God's call for my life? Friends, it isn't hard to figure out at all. It's to so surrender yourself to God that his transforming work gets done in your heart. And then you walk out into that world and you make a difference for him. That is the call of God. And it's the best call you are ever going to receive. Let me tell you, do I have three minutes? I'm <laughs> sorry, it's lunchtime. The chicken is burning out there because I'm going on so long. Let me tell you a quick story, and I'm done. It's about a good friend of mine who, um, he's a pastor in his late 50s. He's much older than I am. No, he's about my age. He recently did some calculations. He's a gifted, gifted pastor. He recently did some calculations, though, and figured out that he has about 1,000 Sunday mornings left. This is sobering, Pastor Dan, (laughs) you know. 20 years or so would be a 1,000 Sundays, right? So my friend went out and bought a 1,000 marbles. And he bought a big glass jar. And he put the marbles in the jar, put the, big glass, put the big jar on his desk in his office at church. And every Sunday morning, right before he comes out to greet the congregation and begin the service, he takes one of the marbles out of that jar he hands it to somebody in the congregation. It's a very, very large church. And he says to them, just ask me about this sometime. Just ask me about this sometime. And Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, my friend Steve is watching the level of marbles slowly go down in his jar. How many of you think this is a little bit morbid? Yeah, I do. I mean, my friend is hes literally losing his marbles. But... He said that one Sunday morning he gave, a, he gave his marble to a little girl, probably about Addison's age. She asked about it, and she was all sad about what this meant. And so the next Sunday she came in with a baggie full of marbles and said, Pastor, I don't want you to die. And he figures that this little girl added about six months to his life. But my friend Steve says, I asked him about it because it really did strike me as, boy, that's a little rough, that's a little depressing. He said, Jack, I don't think this is morbid at all. He said, life is a precious gift. And it goes by so very quickly. And he said, I do this because I simply want to make sure I am on point every single week with what God has called me to do. Friends. What matters most in your life is being faithful to the calling that God has given you. Because God has put you on this planet, and it is not for nothing. He does have a legacy he wants you to leave. He does have a mark he wants you to make. He does have a calling he wants you to fulfill. And I don't know how many marbles you have left in your jar, I think I'm probably south of 1,000 by now. But your life is too short to give it to anything else than being faithful to the call of God because it is the very best call you are ever going to receive. Pursue it with everything you are. We congratulate those who are celebrating a call to vocational ministry this morning. But the call is for every single one of us.
0: Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Jesus, we thank you for this gift from your word. and We ask that our hearts will be open, that we would hear all that you would say, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see what you would do in us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen may you have confidence to know that the one who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, and that by his grace you can be transformed to the character of Christ, to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.